Greg Yi, who is here uh, visiting uh, with us today. Um, come on up. Yep. And uh, he has been serving as the Pacific Northwest Conference Superintendent for the past six years. And prior to that, he was the Associate Superintendent for, is it the Pacific Southwest, Southwest. Conference, yeah. right, for mm -hmm. 10 years. And uh, during his service there, he became acquainted with um, our current pastor, um, Kurt Nodehelfer. And uh, he, before that, he was an interim pastor and a church planter in the Chicago area. He received his uh, BS in Human Development from the University of California, Davis, and his Master's in Divinity from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Illinois. His wife is Mary. Uh, married for 29 years. Give it up for that, right? Yeah. Love, to hear that. Love to hear about strong marriage these days. Awesome. And three kids, ages 23, 18, and 14. So is the 18-year-old um, out of the house yet? Yes, she's yes. on her way to Point Loma. Yeah, so I'll fall. put you on the spot. You have a 14-year-old. Yes. And, and so you're just like four years from being empty nesters. Is that good or bad? That's a good thing. That's good. <laughs> I see the line. Yeah, yeah. Let's give him a warm welcome this morning. Thank you, church. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm sure you were counting up all those years, and you're like, man, did they get married when they were like two years old? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, yeah, we did. About two. Two and a half, actually. Yeah. Hey, um, super grateful for this opportunity to be with you. Um, I'm just so uh, happy that Kurt uh, got the Lilly Grant uh, for this sabbatical. It is like the golden egg, <laughs> the golden ticket to get into the factory. <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of pastors uh, apply every year, and uh, not a lot of pastors receive it. And so... Um, it's just a real special gift that not just the note helpers uh, get to uh, engage in that and recharge and renew as they anticipate uh, life and ministry together afterwards, but for you all as well. And so I'm just really grateful that uh, you're on this journey with the note helpers. Um, this, I, I, I say this every time I'm here. I'm not here that often, so I'll say it again. Uh, Faith Sumner will always be a very, 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 very special place to me. Why? Because six years ago, we had our conference annual meeting here, and I was sitting, you know, overflow seating kind of, and there were seats on the back wall there, and this is where I was elected. And so all the fun began right here in <laughs> Sumner. So amen to that. Uh, so it's good to be with you. Hey, I love your sabbatical theme. I love uh, this theme of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, and that's really what I want to talk about uh, this morning, a bit about the Holy Spirit. Um, I, uh, this, this, this theme uh, reminds me a little bit of a story that's pretty fresh in my uh, extended family, and I, I wanted to share it with you. Um, my sister-in-law, who is six years older, uh, five years older, uh, found out in her early 50s, so a few years ago, she's in her uh, older 50s now, uh, her uh, dad had passed away probably for at least 15 years or so. Her mom uh, was in pretty advanced stages of Alzheimer's, so she was not getting this from her parents, but just randomly heard from her cousin, unknowingly, that she was adopted. Can you imagine finding out as a 50-some-year-old uh, that suddenly, oh my gosh, my entire reality is completely turned around and I'm adopted, but not just that. And you need to know a little bit of history here between 
uh, the Chinese, Chinese and Japanese, she found out that she was half Japanese. Okay, which is kind of shocking, right? So, so like for Chinese folk, like parents will say, no, you gotta marry Chinese, but if you're gonna marry anybody else, it could be anybody else, but not Japanese, <laughs> right? Because of the war and the imperialism and what they did to China, right? And, so, and seriously, I mean, there's that tension. And so she finds out not just that she's adopted, but that she's half Japanese. Right? Crazy, right? And so, of course, with all the pop culture, with, with Koreans and Japanese, all the pop culture with young people, her kids were going, well, we're like a quarter Japanese, right? <laughs> Which was really cool for them, but shocking for her. Well, it didn't stop there. So you know that 23andMe and all these genetic tests are, are out now. So she's like, yeah, I'm going to take one. She does the spit test, sends it in, waits for it, and it comes back, and it says that she's fully Chinese. <laughs> She's not half Japanese, right? But her DNA goes out into the global database, and suddenly the data comes back that there's a half-brother out there here in the States. And the half-brother calls her, and that leads to other half-siblings and cousins, and guess what? Her biological mom, who's in China, right? And so all of this is coming together, and she was able, the, the mom was making a trip to the States, uh, and uh, and she, she got to stay with my sister-in-law and my brother for a couple of weeks and just life-altering stuff, right? And then um, her, her actual mom just passed away a few weeks ago. So we're sitting in the funeral and we're finding out even more about this crazy story, right? And the story goes that um, her mom and her dad were not able to conceive. And so uh, through kind of the underground black black market of sorts in, in Oakland, Chinatown, there in the San Francisco Bay Area, they, they make this contact with this lady who arranged with an OBGYN that knew of a Chinese national who was in town for college, who had gotten pregnant as a collegian, was hiding out in a house in Oakland and was about to have a baby, right? And so <clears throat> uh, her mom then sets it all up, pays for the baby, and goes to the intermediary, that goes to the OBGYN, that goes to the biological mom, and so she knows the name of Lisa's mom, and checks into the hospital under the mom's name. Because they didn't check IDs, they didn't have the things of the scan, beep, 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 you know, they didn't have any of that, right? <laughs> and so checks in under the mom's name. So my sister-in-law was born to her mom, but just her, her name, right? craziness, right? It was absolutely life-altering to my sister-in-law. Completely earth-shattering to my, did I say my mom? To my sister, to my sister-in-law, right? I kind of feel a little bit of this when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Because we're in the book of Acts, and I just want to look at three scenes right at the beginning of Acts in uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And what happens at the birth of the church? What happens after the resurrection and towards the end of Jesus' ministry? And what happens there leading into this historic book of Acts completely changes the world. Completely changes how we as Christ followers are to see the world and, and, and our worldview, but how we engage the world, how we're to walk with Jesus. It's absolutely life-altering. And so we're, we get into this, this unimaginable thing, that, uh, uh, this, 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 this crazy thing that happened, 
and we, we, we step into Acts 1, okay? Um, what I want to do is uh, I want to look at these, um, these three scenes, and I want to talk about why should we stay in step with the Spirit? Well, one, it's because uh, of we need a guide. It's an outward focus, okay? And then the second is, for those of you who are taking notes, it's an inward journey. And I'll talk about a couple of the, the two scenes as we look at the inward journey. That's the title, Outward and Inward, okay? So let me just read chapter one. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 1, and uh, we're looking uh, right at the beginning. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you uh, at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, no, it's not for you to know the times and days that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive, what's the word there, church? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you have this thing happen to you that is absolutely life-altering. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is about to be taken up into the clouds. And the last red letters, the last things that we have him say is, I want you to hear me one last time. Because I've been hanging out with you for three years, and we've seen some pretty crazy things together. But I'm about to leave you, physically leave you, and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. But I want to make sure you heard me what this is all about. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. Now, so often when we hear this, what we call in, in, in church circles the Great Commission, we often think of this as going from Sumner to downtown Seattle to overseas, something like that, right? And it's absolutely that. It's why our, our friends are running for clean water right now. We're, 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 we're on this trajectory of looking not just locally here in our communities, not just our wider metropolitan area, but also internationally. That is absolutely what Jesus is saying in this first, uh, in Acts 1. But I want to put forward to you that he's saying something else as well. I think what Jesus is also saying is that we need to go from those places that are familiar and those places that are comfortable to places that are increasingly less familiar and increasingly uncomfortable, unlikely places. So as he sends us out with the power of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, be on this trajectory. Uh, about 10 years ago, oh no, almost 20 years ago, uh, my buddies and I, guys that I grew up with back in Oakland, uh, we decided, we, we used to go backpacking a lot. And so we decided that this year was going to be Death Valley, okay? Because we had read in a Backpacker magazine the, the 10 top 
quietest, most beautiful trails, right? And this one trail uh, in Death Valley was one of them. And so we decided to fly out right after uh, New Year's and do a a week-long backpacking trip. But before then, uh, like a month or two ahead, we called the ranger station and said, hey, you know, we're having problems finding a topographic map. Could we buy one and have you send it to us? Oh, you know, sorry, we don't have, uh, we can't really do that, but we've got plenty of maps. Just come in, uh, and then we'll set you up, and we'll look at the trail. Right? So we land uh, in Jan- on January 2nd, and we head out there, and we get to the ranger station, and the ranger says, oh, I'm so sorry, it was a holiday weekend. We have no more maps, <laughs> you know? And so I had flown for, I was living in Chicago at that time, and my buddies were coming in from the Bay Area, and so we're like, there's no way we're not going to do this trip, right? So we're like begging the rangers. They had the big, you know, leather-bound maps that they have, you know, at the table. We said, please, could we just Xerox? Like, no, you know, we can't Xerox. Said, please, please, we're, we're going to go out there. You got to let us Xerox those maps, right? So they take this big leather-bound thing, and they copy it for us, and they, they hand us these, these photocopies, right? And we stuff them in our backpacks and head out for a week in Death Valley. <laughs> Wise. Gift of wisdom we had, right? Gift of wisdom. Yeah. So we went out there, and what we found was, boy, that Xerox machine didn't copy very well. <laughs> and it didn't really give the detail, you know, that it wasn't a color copier. So it was very, very difficult for us to figure out where we were going. We got lost several times. We ended up in the wrong valleys several times. We thought we were running into springs that were not flowing We went like two days without being able to fill up water. It was getting pretty desperate in the middle of Death Valley. Church, we can't get anywhere without a guide. We can't get anywhere without a map, right? And Jesus is saying here, don't go out into life. Don't be a church. Don't be my follower like you're carrying around a Xerox copy, okay? I am giving you a 3D model of a topographic map that I'm going to send you out there, and it's going to be power-infused with the Holy Spirit. It's like a helicopter. (laughs) It's like something that's powerful that I'm sending you out with. Don't go out there with just a Xerox copy. We're heading into uncharted territory. We're heading into places that we're just not used to. That we just, we don't have something to fall back on. But God says, for such a time as this, I am putting you right here, right now in Sumner and the surrounding areas. I am putting you right here in the beginning of the 21st century. And yeah, I know it's really hard for the church right now, but I am calling you specifically to this time in this place to go on this mission with me. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. If you were at our annual meeting uh, down in Portland a couple months ago, uh, our speakers uh, talked about uh, going out there um, with the gospel airplane, making sure we have both wings on the gospel airplane, right? And what they talked about is that on one wing is focusing on transforming lives, right? Transforming into, so people, Uh, uh, preaching the gospel, evangelism, discipleship, making sure people uh, meet Jesus and and people are coming to Christ. That is one wing of the gospel. And and the other wing is transforming communities, right? It's it's the clean water. It's bringing God's kingdom here to Sumner. It's uh, restoring God's shalom uh, where there is brokenness in the community. 
right? We, we sung about unity, and in this day and age that is so polarized and so uh, un, ununited, just, what's the word? Ununited? No, that's not, not united, okay? <laughs> not united. We, the church, step into that, and we say, hey, we bring God's love. We bridge the gap, right? And that the gospel airplane needs both wings, Right? I don't know if you're subscribing to our conference newsletter, but it came out um, on Monday. And uh, this is, I want to read what I wrote in my article, okay? It says, this past Tuesday, nine pastors and I opened up Francis Chan's latest book, Letters to the Church, during our clergy conversations time. I wrote this, God intends to change the world through the, lo- through the local church, writes Chan. I asked myself, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that God intends to change the world through the church, through Faith Covenant Church, through the 78 churches of the Pacific Northwest Conference, or the 875 churches of the Evangelical Covenant Church, all of those who would, all churches that uh, bow our knees to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you? Do you believe that? If we do, it is clear what, is it clear what the church is to be? Chan states, it is imperative that we differentiate between what we want and what God commands. Jesus lays it out. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me, from Matthew 16, 24. Jesus is not lacking clarity here, but I think we've set up a type of discipleship that does not call people to full surrender or sacrifice. We've allowed the discipleship bar to be too low, too easy, and too comfortable. To make things worse, we don't have clear pathways of evangelism or discipleship or identifying leaders and developing them in our local churches. This is our family business, isn't it? This should be our expertise. If there's anything any of us should be great at, it's making disciples who make disciples, right? When we start to be about something different than what our family business is about, we begin to go through mission drift and become something that we call church but isn't church. Mike Breen writes in his book, Building a Discipling Culture, if you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. What are we investing our time, attention, and resources toward? We get into a rut of being busy doing a lot of Christian stuff but not actually making disciples. That's like being Best Buy, but all we sell is overhead projectors. Yeah? Remember those? (laughs) How's the family business doing where you are? We seem to overfeed minds and neglect emotions and passion. We overstudy and underserve and underrespond. Or we push in areas of mercy and justice, but we seldomly call people to holiness and a deeper life in Christ. Either way, Jesus' word stands clear. If we want to follow Jesus, we must give up our own way, be ready for sacrifice and even suffering, and follow him. In an instant gratification culture and a world that frames truth as indefinite and personal, this is a difficult way. God wants our money. God wants our time. God wants our sexuality. 
God wants our pursuits. He is a jealous God and wants all of us, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. A.W. Tozer writes, only a disciple can make a disciple. Only somebody who is authentically following Jesus can help replicate that, right? So church, are we following Jesus? Are we truly living into the family business? As we think about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit in this first stop, as we, as we think about how God, how Jesus has sent us outward, do we understand what those, red, those last red, are we hearing his last words before he's taken up into the clouds there? Okay, let's go to the second one. Uh, let's go to chapter three. We're going to do two stops here uh, in this one. The first one is chapter three. And... Uh, the second one is the inward journey. Okay, that was the outward challenge. Here's the inward challenge, all right? On uh, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer around three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth and being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for, uh, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he uh, went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's an amazing story. Here you have somebody who from birth was not able to walk, and he's sitting just shy of the temple. Uh, the gate beautiful, it's hard to, like when you do the research on the beautiful gate, there actually is no gate that is formally called beautiful. So it's just something that Dr. Luke, when he was writing this account, was just kind of a colloquialism. It's just maybe some common thing that was known. Or, or maybe Dr. Luke was saying, uh, you know, something beautiful happened there. Yeah? So at this beautiful gate, this man was sitting there and was always put there, just shy of the presence of God, just shy of being able to worship with his fellow uh, people just shy of being, uh, of being there, right? But here you have John and Peter. They come upon this guy, and they look him in the eye, and they say, we do not have money, but what we do have is Jesus. Put out their right hand, and for the very first time in this guy's life, very first time, he begins to feel the weight of his body on his ankles and his feet and his knees, and he starts to walk, and he starts to jump and dance. He's healed, right? The inward journey. The inward journey is why do we need to stay in step with, uh, with the Spirit? Because I think, I know that each one of us needs healing. We all need healing. One in four girls and one in six boys are supposedly, statistics say, sexually abused before they're 18. 
One to two out of 10 veterans have PTSD. 76% of all 18 to 24-year-old Christians actively seek pornography. 71% of teens hide their online behavior from their parents. Half of marriages end in divorce. 70% of women 18 to 30 30 don't like their bodies. 15% of women have some kind of eating disorder. We have neglected homes. We have death and loss that we've experienced. We have these these, um, diminishing voices that are in our heads that have chained us like adult elephants who are chained, right, when when they're babies. And they learn as babies they can't move. And so even though as adult elephants they could totally pull that peg and that chain out, they learned very early on that they're chained. And we're like that, right? Where we have these shackles that are upon us. I've been living with some voices in my head my entire life. Uh, Growing up Chinese American, even though I'm fifth generation, my family immigrated here in 1877. Even though that I've been here in America for that long, growing up Chinese American in, the, in, in um, East Oakland, in the Bay Area, I always had this voice in the back of my head that said to me, Greg, you don't belong. Okay? It's just, you know, as, as, as an ethnic minority, even in Oakland, as diverse as it is, uh, this voice kept on saying, you're not, you don't belong. Right? On top of that, kind of growing up in an immigrant community, even though we were not immigrants, I learned this voice also in my head that I'm not normal and that I'm an outsider. I'm not an insider. I'm an outsider, right? My family of origin voice is that my dad uh, really struggled with where he was in life. He was, he was um, the guy at church that didn't make it, didn't go to university, didn't make it, and didn't get to move to the other side of the hill to Contra Costa County where a lot of his peers in our church and his friends lived, from China, and his friends from Chinatown. Uh, he, was, he was the guy that didn't make it across the hill, but we were in East Oakland. East Oakland was a tough place, okay? And so uh, he worked for AT&T, but he hated his job, but he did it faithfully. But my memories of my dad are sitting in his den with the lights dim or off, either listening to classical music or the family radio station to just... Like that was this soothing place. Um, so the voice in my head was, uh, it was, Greg, you're not strong enough. You're not good enough, right? You're not valuable enough, okay? So I've got all of these things playing in my head. And when I took this position, I immediately went into counseling and I said, I need to work on these voices. And it's a lifetime journey, Right? I'm actually standing before you as one that has had to do a lot of work internally to ask the Holy Spirit to rewrite these tapes that are in my head, that are in my heart. And I suspect that you have very similar tapes that play in your head. Not to mention any trauma, any external trauma that you've experienced in your life. Maybe one of the things that I mentioned that I listed out. But the Holy Spirit says, when you stay in step with me, I am about healing. God, Jesus, he holds out his hand and he says, do you want to be healed? I want to lift you up from a lifetime of being lame, of being chained. I want you to know newness of life in me. 
Zephaniah uh, 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes delight in you with gladness. With his love, he calms all your fears. He will rejoice over you with singing. I hear this. I hear this. And then I hear, 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 hear these songs. Uh, uh, I remember being at this camp and, and hearing the song, um, uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Right? And I remember standing at the camp when the song was, when we're singing the song, and I'm just like bawling, totally caught up. You know, like I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see it coming. But I realized that that was part of my journey, the chains that I was carrying. Ephesians 1 reminds us, before, even before God made the world, before the foundations of the earth were laid down, before the mountains were, na- were, were raised or in the, 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 the rivers were flowing, before any of that, it says, God loved us and chose us to be adopted into his family, to be a daughter of the king to be a son, to be a prince and a princess. 2 Samuel 22, 3 to 4 says, My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, you are my shield, my stronghold and refuge. You are my savior, the psalmist sings, right? In Deuteronomy 32, 11 to 12, it says, God is like an eagle that stirs up his, her nest and hovers over its young. God spreads his wings to cover you. Romans 8 says, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus right now? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. What is he doing? Praying on your behalf. He's interceding for you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And The prophetic vision in Revelation 21 as things are coming to an end and God who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Write this down for they are faithful and true. Friends, God wants you to be healed. God wants you to experience newness in life. That's what the gospel is. It's the good news. But I want to challenge you at this point. I want to challenge you that that's not just a private journey. I think we can't really get there until we bring a trusted other along. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a a staff member here at the church. Maybe it's your small group leader. Maybe it's it's an old friend. But I challenge you that the first step of loosening those chains that have been chaining you down for so long is to ask for help. And I know that's so hard for us, but I want to challenge you from this place of worship that we are together to ask for help. Okay, last point. I've gone too long. Um, Acts 2, very quickly, uh, in verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons... And daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I want to end with this. Uh, About a week and a half ago, I was already at work and my daughter, my 18-year-old, called me. She said, Dad, I had a dream. 
So she started out, before she told me the dream, she said, you know, um, this, our next door neighbor has just been a total blessing from God, has in the last two years uh, taken uh, my daughter out every Monday, most Monday uh, evenings to take her out to dinner and to basically disciple her. And the last three or four times, my daughter was telling me that, that uh, our neighbor uh, kept on asking her, Aaron, uh, if Jesus were to come back today, would you be okay with what he sees? <laughs> and, uh, and it was really kind of, you know, really pushing on her the, the few weeks. And then it really uh, got to a point, the, 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 it was a Tuesday that she had called me, that Monday just really came to a point that when she, went, when she fell asleep that night, she had a dream. And the dream was that God was speaking to her directly and was telling her, Aaron, I really want to be in a relationship with you. I really, really want to be in a relationship with you. And she remembers feeling in that dream that she felt so bad that she wasn't closer to God. And so when she called me and told me about the dream, told me what was being discussed with our neighbor, she said, Dad, I want to be closer to God. I want to be closer to God. And what, I mean, for a parent, there's no better thing to hear from your child, especially right before she leaves for college, <laughs> right? No guarantees going to a Christian college, right? But nothing, was, nothing could be more sweet than hearing those words. So friends, uh, not super neat at the, at the end here, but I wonder if God is speaking to you to you today. I wonder if God has been speaking, whether it be in a, in, a, in a dream or maybe the Spirit has just been prompting you along the way through different things. But I, know, I, I don't know how it looks, but I know He is because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Prods our hearts. Tries to bring us back into the, to the way, right? So church, I just want to ask as we close here, where is the Holy Spirit placing that spiritual kind of pressure on you today? Is it part of the outward journey? Or perhaps it's the inward journey? Or maybe it's both. But I challenge you, I rejoice with you that during this uh, sabbatical time that you will learn more and more what it means to be in step, to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for each sister and brother here in this place and for all those who are not here. God, we know that you call us to a life that can sometimes be challenging. And God, we want to make it our collective confession that we realize that we have dumbed this down that the bar has been too low, that uh, we have chosen a life that is not exactly what you've asked us to live. So God, we confess that, but we realize that this is a holy moment as we worship together and that you're calling us to a new life in you. So God, whatever that might be for any of my friends here, God, I pray that there would be a revival of sorts, that there would be renewal, that there would be a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit that would blow through this place, that you would take all the good fruit that has been collecting in this place and that you would multiply it, continue to challenge them, 
Continue to not let them get off with uh, what is easy or wrong, but call them to the center of your will. So we thank you, God. It is in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray, and through the power of your Holy Spirit.